Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning. Welcome to all of you who are here in worship, as well as those of you that are worshiping with us online. And this morning, we are processing through the Christmas segment of a year-long single topic, which has been on the kingdom of God. The segment that we're in now as a church family, as far as preaching goes, is called The King is Born. And if you have any uh, background that observed Advent, you know that this morning, the topic is to be joy. So the message that I'm going to bring is going to focus on joy. But before we do that, I'm going to ask we'd all stand together, turn, give someone a fist bump, high five, hug, handshake, say good morning, get to know someone new. And then go ahead and remain standing as we're going to pray together. And you would know if you've been at City that we have been praying through together every Sunday the Lord's Prayer. The reason for that is the center of the Lord's prayer is that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so for the year-long emphasis on the kingdom of God, we've been praying the Lord's prayer together out loud. Interesting to note, there is no prayer in all of the Bible for you to get to heaven. But the Lord's prayer is that heaven would come here and we need it. Let's pray together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Now this morning, again, the message will be focusing on joy, but every time I preach or teach on Christmas, I always talk about the following. If you've heard it before, forgive me, but it bears repeating, and it's this. Only two of the Gospels speak of Christmas. Christmas is found nowhere else in all of the Newer Testament outside of two Gospels, and there are four Gospels. Again, Christmas is never mentioned anywhere in the Bible again outside of these two Gospels. But all of the Gospels spend up to half of the Gospel on the death, burial, and resurrection. You see, the epicenter of the Christian faith is Easter. And if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, you would have never heard about Christmas. But Christmas is still important. Little hint, the reason why Christmas is our favorite It's because of presents. (laughs) I know Chris already asked you this, but how many of you like presents? I do have a question, though. How many of you like presents where you put in the order for it ahead of time? And how many of you like to be surprised? There you go. Now, with that in mind, we're going to take a look at joy. But before we get there, the two Gospels that speak of Christmas are Matthew and Luke. Matthew's gospel gives us the perspective of Joseph, 
Luke's gospel gives us the perspective of Mary. That's how we know Joseph's perspective and Mary's because the gospels have two different focuses. But this morning we're going to take a look at the gospel of Luke and we're going to discover again the king is born joy. Now before we read our text, I want to talk very briefly about joy. I've heard sermons preached and I've preached them comparing joy and happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is something that can live in you through the worst of circumstances. There's something about joy that is unique. And so what I did this week is kind of took a look at joy and kind of remembered some things that I had studied in the past. I want to share a couple of them with you. First of all, two quotes by C.S. Lewis, a wonderful, great Christian thinker. C.S. Lewis said about joy, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. And in another quote he said, joy is never in our own power and pleasure often is. There's another current theologian, one of my favorites by the name of Stanley Hauerwas. By the way, Stanley teaches at Duke. I hold that against him, but I still love what he has to say. He said something once in an interview that I observed several years ago I never forgot. He said, true joy is always a surprise. It's a surprise. You can't plan for it. It hits you out of nowhere. True joy. And so if you put those two thoughts together, C.S. Lewis, joy is never in our power. And Hauerwas with joy is always a surprise. True joy is a surprise. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the birth story of Jesus with those two things in mind. Joy is never in our power. And joy is always a surprise. One final thought before we read. We're going to get to one part, and I love this. But it says, great joy. What you need to know in the Greek, it's mega joy. Isn't mega just a great word? Mega joy. So let's read the story together. It's somewhat lengthy, but I'm going to read it out loud if you would follow along in your Bible on your smartphone or from the screen. Here we go. Luke 2, 1 through 20, the birth of Jesus, joy. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married him to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Hotel 6 was overbooked. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you, and what are the next two words? That's actually in Greek, one word, gospel. That's what it says, gospel. I bring you gospel. It's translated into English. The Greek word euangelion is translated good news, and it is. But in Greek, it's one word, gospel. Just like the gospel of Matthew, gospel of Mark, gospel of Luke, and gospel of John. It's the gospel, the good news. Do not be afraid. I bring you gospel, good news, that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. We sung about that earlier. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Joy, mega joy. Now, whenever I preach, and I probably say this too often as well, context matters. The very first sentence that we read brings us the context of the birth of Jesus. Luke 2.1. In those days, who? Remember back to middle school. What do we know about Caesar Augustus? Do any of us know anything about Caesar Augustus? Raise your hand if you know something. Help me a little bit. What comes to mind about Caesar? Go ahead. He was what? His best friend killed him. Ouch. What else do we know? Well, that's a great way to start, isn't it? What else? What's that? The month of August is named after him. How many of you knew that? How many of you did not know that? See, you learned something in church today. Month of August is named after him. Here's some things we need to know. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of what? The entire Roman world, Caesar Augustus. You see, when that is said, so much is said. Caesar Augustus is in power he clicks his fingers and the entire Roman world moves. It moves because he said so. Incredible power. But if you were to look up Caesar Augustus and all-knowing Wikipedia, you would find a couple things. He's adopted. You would also discover very quickly that by this time, he's also being considered divine. 
people are beginning to worship him. And you would also discover he too had a gospel. As a matter of fact, if you took just the word gospel, the Greek word euangelion, and you just typed in gospel, and you went to Wikipedia, here's what you would discover. You would discover that Rome also had a gospel, a good news. Augustus was both a man and a God, a savior who has made war to cease and put everything in peaceful order. This period of peace is called the, what's it called? How many of you remember middle school now? Pax Romana, you remember that now. So what you have is, you've got Luke's gospel presenting the birth of Jesus. And who's in authority? And he is known as the Savior. He is known as the Prince of Peace. He is the one, and you can read it right out of Wikipedia. He's the Lord. He's also God. And right under his rule and reign, there's this little peasant baby who's born under his authority. You see, the point of the Gospels is this is a tale of two kings. It's the tale of Caesar Augustus and the tale of a new king who was just born. And they both have a gospel. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But I want you to notice that Caesar Augustus has issued a decree. And the decree is that a census should be taken. Just so you know, a census is the bellwether of taxation in the ancient world. You see, Caesar Augustus has now got this total authority. And he came to authority by killing people and bribing people and leading in battles and assassinating some of his friends. He's a certain type of king. And he has a gospel. But then there's Jesus, and he's a king, and he has a gospel too. But I want you to notice that Caesar Augustus' announcement is only good news for him. Census will be taken. How much money can I get? And then again, right under his nose, we have the story of a birth of a new kind of a king will usher in a new kind of a kingdom. Now I want you to notice that God's gospel is about giving. Caesar Augustus's gospel is about taking. Huge difference. And the text tells us that as God makes this announcement of the birth of his son, how many of you have ever received a baby announcement. They're usually the cutest pictures you've ever seen. I love to get them. I've pastored in one church long enough to where some of the people that now send me baby notifications, it's of their kids. We saw them dedicated to the Lord and now I get postcards. They're like, yeah, we had a baby. It's awesome. But God... When God makes his announcement and sends out his birth announcement, finds the most sidelined people he can find. You see, there's these shepherds that are living out in the fields at night. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And every biblical historian will tell you the following. If you are in the fields at night as a shepherd, you don't own the sheep. The owner of the sheep is warm and home in bed because he's got money. But if you're in the field watching the sheep, you're a hired hand and you're poor. We also know, biblical historians tell us, that shepherds were not trusted at all. They could not testify in the court of law. They were viewed among the least of these. And yet the text tells us that the angel goes to the lowest, that when God sends his birth announcement, he finds those who are convinced no one cares, and he comes to them and says, my son has been born. It's good news. And then the text tells us that just before that announcement is given, Luke 2, 7, Mary wrapped Jesus in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no what? Guest room available for them. I'm not gonna go into this in depth, but what we have to know is is that Mary should have been in the guest room, but she isn't. In ancient culture, much like Middle Eastern culture today, if a pregnant woman comes to town, everyone opens their home. Everyone would give her the guest room, but she doesn't get it. You see, there's an undercurrent. She's pregnant outside of marriage, and there's an undercurrent here. She's now at her husband's hometown. They know he's not the father, and she's taken in but she's not given the room she should have been given. The guest room was not made available to her. She gives birth in the living room. We'll get to that on another Sunday. But what I think is important to notice is that God's gospel, the announcement of God into the world, comes to a group of people who no one would ever send an announcement to. They don't even have a P.O. box. They're so poor. And yet God sends his angels to them and invites them to come and visit the baby. The other thing that I often teach on, it's important to remember whenever you read the Bible, that if you're reading a story and there's a, a repeated theme or a repeated phrase, that's the point that you're not supposed to miss. And so if you rethink through the story that we just read, and I had never seen this before, but I caught it this year as I was studying the Gospel of Luke again. I want you to see the repeated theme. See if you can catch it. We already read it, Luke 2, 7. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Luke 2, 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying where? In a manger, Luke 2, 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was what? Do you think there's a point here? Where's the baby lying? Very good, in a manger. Not in a palace. Not in a palace. God's king steps into the world, into the life of someone who isn't wealthy, they're poor. Someone who's a political refugee, they're on the run. Someone who's told where to be. And here we find that this is the context into which Jesus is born. He's wrapped in cloths. 
And he's lying where? In a manger. But now the story starts to make sense. Because the angel comes to shepherds. And the text is absolutely clear. That's where shepherds put their babies too. You see, what God does is he crafts his story, his gospel, and it's presented culturally and through angelic announcement to a group of people who truly don't matter. But that's how God chooses to write his story. While Caesar Augustus is sitting in one of his palaces issuing decrees that shatter the entire world, God chooses a peasant couple and places his son in a manger and then invites shepherds to come and see. But Luke 2.10 says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. There's your word gospel. Every time in the Newer Testament you see those two words together, good news, it's the Greek word euangelion, gospel. I bring you gospel that will cause mega joy for all the people. The gospel's for everyone, including shepherds. You see, it's for all the people. There's joy available for all the people. The gospel is for everyone. Luke 2, 10 through 12. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you gospel that will cause great joy for all the people. But today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. You know what's so stunning to me is how this communicates so effectively the incredible love of God. God constructs a birth story for his child that involves the least of these shepherds. And where is Jesus born? In a manger, just the same place where they put their babies. Then you stride out of this story and you move into the Newer Testament story. And what you find in the Newer Testament is all of a sudden it goes from sheep and shepherds and mangers to fish. Jesus starts doing miracles with fish. Why do you think Jesus did miracles with fish? His shepherds were what? I'm sorry, his disciples were what? They're fishermen. None of them are shepherds. So Jesus starts doing miracles with fish. Why? Because the people around him, they understand that. Here's what I'm trying to explain. The birth of Jesus is done in such a way to give you the confidence that however you hear best and however you see best, the kingdom of God, God will reveal it to you that way. The miracle of fish means nothing to shepherds. But for a shepherd to know that God's king is in a manger, the same form and fashion where they put their babies means everything. It means they're in, that the kingdom of God is for them too. The multiplication of the fish and the bread and the miraculous catch of fish are for disciples who are fishermen. 
catching a gold coin in a fish in the fish's mouth. You know, Matthew, the tax collector, loved that. God does miracles so that you know the kingdom is for you. But it comes in joy. And joy is unplanned. And it's not from you. And you can't manufacture it. It hits you out of nowhere. I think many of us miss God because we don't understand God uses joy. He truly does. He uses joy. So how do we put feet to our faith? We put feet to our faith understanding that God is going to speak to you too. I have every belief in this. I believe with all of my heart that this Christmas season, God wants to speak to every single one of us. Notice that what the angel says to the shepherd begins with all people. The gospel is for all the people. And then the, the angels look down at the shepherds and say, but it's for you. This gospel's for you. It's for everyone, but it's also for you. And to prove it, go see where God's baby's been born in a manger. It's for you too. We can sit in neutral and say the gospel's for everyone. Man, that's gospel. It's good news. But the gospel is also for you. It's for you. It's for you. And in that last paragraph, the angel uses the word you five times. Remember, repeating is the point of it. Five times the angel keeps saying, you, 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 the gospel, the joy is for you. Would you stand with me as we close? And as we close out our time, I'd like us to be a church family that is open to joy. It's unplanned. It's surprising. And it doesn't come from you. Can we take a moment to close our eyes in God's presence, but open up our hearts? Lord, I pray that this Christmas we would be women and men who are vulnerable to joy, to being surprised. That God, somehow, some way, I pray a blessing over my own life and every woman and man that's here, that your joy would touch us. And in some unexpected moment, there would come joy and we would know that you're speaking to us too. In Jesus' name.